0: So last week we learnt about Hannah's faithfulness, how it was rewarded. She prayed to have a son, of course, and God listened to her. She had Samuel, and when he was about three or four, she passed him back to Eli, as she had promised to do. So this is now where we pick up the narrative, and we are reading from one Samuel chapter two, verses eleven to thirty six. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, The report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favour with the Lord and with people. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, This is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honour your sons more than me, by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people, Israel? Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares... I promised that members of your family would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honour me, I will honour, but those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your priestly house, so that no one in it will reach an old age, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good, will be, although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be a sign to you. They will both die on the same day. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his priestly house and they will minister before my anointed one always. Then everyone left in your family line will come and bow down before him for a piece of silver and a loaf of bread and plead, Appoint me to some priestly office so that I can have food to eat. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks, Peter.
1: don't know what your uh, instinctive reaction to that text is. Um, It's quite a terrible text in many ways. So let's pray uh, and ask the Lord to speak through it. Father God, this is a story of awful sin. And Father God, we don't come here this morning assuming that we are better than them. We are somehow sinless people. We are not and we come relying on you grace. Relying on the grace that is given us through Christ. We come trembling at your word. Wondering Lord what you might say through your spirit to us this morning. Speak to our hearts. Lord warn us if we need to be warned. But we thank you we're not left in the situation they were left in. There was no mediator When the priests were evil, there was no mediator between man and God, but we know we have a mediator that is Jesus, the one mediator, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we tremble at your word, but we come also um, trusting that in Christ you will forgive us, strengthen us and lead us on. Speak to us this morning, we pray. Amen. So it helps if you have the text probably open in front of you. So we started last week. Excuse me. So remember our rules of thumb for, for understanding the Old Testament. First is this. What the prophets, priests, and kings did imperfectly, Jesus does perfectly for us. Jesus is our prophet, our priest, uh, and our king. So that's the point of the stories about them, is that they... In what they do right, they give us a picture of what Jesus will co- is coming to do. They give us a foreshadowing. They give us a prediction. But on the other hand, by their failings, they show us why their ministry was never good enough and why we needed a better ministry, a better ministry uh, of Jesus, a better prophet, a better priest, and a better king. We also said, and this perhaps uh, um, we'll try and apply this as we go along. Each episode in the Old Testament is a local story. It's just a story in itself. Uh, It was a fairly graphic story, wasn't it, this time round? But it's also a story about the nation of Israel, so we understand it in its bigger context. And the story of the nation of Israel is part of the Jesus story. So we understand them. Uh, It's a human story, but it's part of the story of Israel. And it's also part of the story of Jesus. And we need to remember that God's character is always the same. And today we had, I don't know whether you noticed it, but it might become more obvious if you open your Bibles. We have two interwoven stories. The upfront story, the one that grabs your attention, uh, is about these two young men, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, the sons of Eli, who are priests. And they're a couple of scoundrels, according to the NIV. But behind the scenes, did you see that keep drip feeding into the story? Um, Samuel is coming. Samuel is, is growing. A new prophet is on his way. As it seems to be so often the case, sin seems to have the upper hand, the greater influence, it's in your face. But behind the scenes the Lord is quietly at work, doing his thing, preparing the ground. And there's a handful of things I want us to to learn. One is this connection between ungodly leadership and unbelief. (coughs) NIV says, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Now, it literally says they're sons of a word, um, Belial. And you can translate that worthlessness. But the word came to kind of mean Satan, really, over time. So, you could argue that they're, they're, they're the best, they're sons of worthlessness, but actually they're sons of Belial, sons of wickedness, so, sons of Satan, essentially. And although the text says they have no knowledge, they have no, what does it say, no regard for the Lord, actually it says you can translate that they have no knowledge of the Lord. So, here are two guys, they're the best, they're sons of wickedness, and they don't know the Lord. And it's ironic then that Eli, if you go back to last week's story, he'd called um, Hannah a daughter of Belial when he thought she was being drunk. There's a kind of irony there that his sons, are, before his face, are, are sons of Belial. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. And they want a bigger share of the sacrificial offering. It, it's outrageous, really. They're gluttons. See anyone who, who brought a fellowship offering according to Leviticus 7 brings part of it as a sacrifice to the Lord they're to bring the fat and the breast uh, and the thigh uh, as an offering to the Lord that that was um, and out of that the priest got the breast and got got the thigh they they were well provided for and, and these guys but these guys they want more They're they're gluttons. They can't really control their appetites. And all they see of their responsibility of priests is how can I get a bit more food out of it? And so they sent the servant along with a big fork and he just, I guess, pseudo-randomly sticks his fork in and and pulls some stuff out. Uh, But they don't always want, not just a bigger share, they want the Lord's share. So the fat portion was to be burned before the Lord. And they're not happy with... um, With with boiled meat, they want some meat with a bit of fat on it, um, so they can have a nice roast. This is the offering, this is the sacrificial offering that the Lord has made, by which people relate to him. And all they can think is they want a bigger bit, and they want the nice fatty bit. I know in our culture, we like like, um, lean meat. But in that culture, the fatty meat was the best. And they're treating the Lord's offering with, with contempt. Um, and you'll notice a little footnote in verse 17. They were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. It's possible in some, in some versions it says that um, the people were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So it may be that they're um, leading other people astray as well. It's a very simple application out of that, which is choose your church leaders carefully. Okay. It's dreadful. What a dreadful thing. What a dreadful catastrophe to have unbelievers leading a church. What a, a dreadful thing to have leaders who are in it for material gain. You see that happening in the New Testament, and the leaders who are in it for material gain so often are not actually genuine believers. It's a dreadful thing to have leaders who lead by force. Or actually, it's not the priests, but they have their kind of deacons um, go on and kind of strong-arm people into giving them some fatty meat. Um, what a dreadful thing to have leaders who lead by force. Don't choose them. Even if it's their lead by force of personality, it's not the way it should be. So that has an immediate application. In 10 days' time, uh, members, you're coming to the AGM. um, Choose your deacons wisely. And this is a really interesting comment. Uh, One writer says, you can end up in grave sin by thinking it very important to be nice to people. There's an error here, which we'll find out as we go along, is that Eli, in particular, has, uh, has decided he doesn't want to offend his son, and I guess nobody else has stood up to offend him and tell him that things are wrong. You can end up picking the wrong leaders, you can end up into all kinds of sin by trying to be nice to people rather than uh, stick to the principles God has put in front of you. That's the first thing. Second thing is this. So that's, uh, ungodly leadership uh, springs from, from unbelief and it's a dreadful thing, we need to avoid it. But here's another principle. We see on Hophni and Phinehas, a judgment comes upon them before their final day. Let me explain. See, Eli's intervention is is inadequate. Um, He he warns his his sons. Um, But they continue to sin, and they continue to sin in office. And we find out more about this sin. there sleeping with the women who served at the temple. They should have been removed from ministry. And that's the problem, isn't it? Eli, their family, how does he do that? But what the Lord wants from, from him is to put the Lord first. I can't remember where that is now. There's a verse in there. Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering? They're his family, but he should honour the Lord more. And if they're sinning in in their service to the Lord, they should should have been removed. And then we get a little aside. I don't know whether you noticed it. Maybe it just um, twigged in your mind as we went past. And we read that. His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Let me find that. It's in verse 25. His sons didn't listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Hang on a minute. What's going on? Well, when people continuously choose sinful attitudes and actions they gradually and inevitably become hard-hearted and and turn increasingly turn away from the living God. And there may come a point where the Lord says, that's enough. Uh, No no more grace. If people harden themselves, if you harden yourself against the Lord, particularly as an unbeliever, there may come a time when the Lord says, I'm just going to, Continue hardening you now. Grace is over. John Wesley says they have sinned away their day of grace. Their sin is so big that the Lord has already made a decision about them. That's a frightening truth, isn't it? So I think we should take heed. You cannot safely say today, I will think about following Jesus later on. You cannot safely say that today. You cannot safely say, I will ask for forgiveness later on. You cannot say, I will enjoy my youth now and get serious about my faith when I am older. For two reasons. One is you may not get another day. You may walk out of here and be, you know, be hit by a truck. It's just possible, isn't it? You know, if you cycle in London, you know, you know the dangers. A- anything can happen. You may not get a tomorrow. Or Jesus may return tonight. Or, if you carry on hardening your heart uh, as somebody who doesn't follow Christ, you may lose that opportunity and God may not give you another one. You cannot delay repentance. God puts something on your heart. It has to be today. It has to be right now. Tomorrow could be too late. And one writer says this, proximity to to the work of God is no substitute for submission to the grace of God. Do you get that? It's not enough to be near Christian things. It's not enough to be in the church, when the, when the services are you know, going on uh, and showing your face and things. Proximity, being near. They, they were near the temple, they were working in the temple. But, but just being near is not enough. It, there has to be a submission, a willing submission um, to the grace of God, a throwing yourself upon the grace of God. Temptations are the same for them as they are for us. Um, John writing says, Don't love the world. <laughs> By that he means non-Christian behavior or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The temptations are always the same. They are sex, food, possessions and pride. Always the same temptations. Uh, John calls them lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, um, pride, pride of life. Temptations are always the same. And so you can say, um, it, it's, fine to, it, it's fine to enjoy my food. Well, of course it is. You enjoy with, with thanksgiving. As long as it's in moderation, or you say it's kind of like it's, it's fine to enjoy, um, you know, enjoy good beer. Again, it's fine as long as it's in moderation. But some things will enslave you. So alcohol can, can enslave you. Obviously sex... Uh, inappropriate sexual thought, inappropriate sexual behavior can enslave you. Uh, and, and Paul says, don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey. Uh, whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death or obedience, it proves to, to righteousness. That's the wrong verse. <laughs> Paul says you become slaves to the things you offer, to the things you obey. So don't muck around with these things. If there are things that are wrong or things that you cannot get in moderation, then I, I ask you to, to, to prove that you have got it in control by doing without them. If you're saying, I'm just sinning a little bit, but I've got this under control, I ask you to prove that to yourself by doing without it. I told you it was sobering. And then we come to the, 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 the third phase of the story, an anonymous, an, oh gosh, can't say it now, that was a mistake, wasn't it? Anonymous admonishment. Should have called this something else. Anonymous admonishment. Eli should have intervened, we said that, should have removed his son from office. But if he didn't, somebody else should have done. In fact, anybody else should have done or should have stood up and said something about it. And actually at the end of the day, anyone does, somebody does, an anonymous person stands up. We don't know his name. He's just called a man of God. And the Lord enacts a merciful judgment for the sake of his people. And the anonymous man comes, and this is typical of the Lord's judgment. He gives to Eli a reminder of the, uh, of the blessings. Didn't I call you to be priests? Didn't I say you could, uh, you could have the, the, the food offerings? that came, why do you honour yourselves more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering? We'll, we'll discover later on that Eli is culpably fat, um, and, and he's fat in a way that, that leads to his death. But a reminder of the blessings, a statement of the charge, just read, why do you honour your sons more than me? A statement of the judgment. Not one in your family will reach a healthy old age. And a confirmatory sign, Hoffney and Phineas will die on the same day, store that one up for later weeks. We're not immune to sin. We might think, "Well, that's not me." But we're not immune to temptation. We all have blind spots. And we can hide our consciences, consciences I always struggle with that, consciences from the Lord. We, we can spare ourselves from being convicted. We can spare ourselves from having to change simply by not coming regularly to God's word. Not being regularly in the, in the scriptures for yourself. Uh, I don't say really every day, but I say more days than not. But let's put it like this, let's, let's be blunt. Elders, we've, we've, this has exercised our hearts. If you're not regularly reading the Bible, then you're not really qualified to be an adult member of the church. Okay? It's part of your responsibility as a member of the church. If you're a member of the church, an adult member of the church, it's just basic. You're not qualified to take part or contribute to a discussion at the members meeting. Uh, Coming up is the AGM. It's not a members' meeting. We won't be discussing what we're reporting. But you're not qualified to take part in the discussion at the members' meeting if you're not regularly in God's word. Because you're not hearing him speak. And we're not here to to hear everybody's opinion. We're here at members' meeting to hear God speak. If you're not regularly in the word, you're you're not qualified because you're protecting your conscience over and above God's honour. But over and beyond that, so you need to be in the scriptures so that God can, God can speak to you. And it's a lovely truth uh, that if you're regularly in, this, in the scriptures, God will speak to you. He absolutely will. It's the way he speaks. It's what he does. It's his nature. It's his promise. And it's a lovely thing, actually, even, I have to say, even the conviction of the Lord is a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing to hear the Lord say, you got that wrong. It's double-edged, isn't it? It's sobering too. But when the Lord says that to you, then you know that you're alive. You know that your Christian life is alive. You know that something's happening and you know that the Lord loves you enough uh, to tell you about it. But even when, we ha- even when we're in the Scriptures, we need the insight and input of other people. So Colossians says this, Paul says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So, people, let's let, let's let the word of God dwell amongst you uh, as richly as we, what? Teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Or as the writer of Hebrews says to it, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a simple unbelieving heart that turns away from the Lord. You have a responsibility. we said this before because we, we looked at Hebrews uh, a while back, but you have a responsibility um, to make sure that nobody else, yeah, see to it, brothers and sisters, no one um, has a sinful and heart. You have a responsibility to everybody else to make sure that they, they don't go hard-hearted. And whoever you are in the church, you need that ministry from other people. This is not the ministry from the pulpit, this is the ministry of people to people Making sure that no one has a hard heart in the Lord. So, I think this is perhaps, you know, the, the, the ultimate sign of maturity in Christ. Is, is to go, is to find somebody you trust and ask them to tell you what they see in your Christian life. You ever done that? That would be a sign, wouldn't it? That would be a sign that you're, that you're really serious about following Christ, we want to be our vision statement, a church in which God moves as we witness through word based oneness, so we want to grow in uh, community maturity and ministry but you're not going to grow in maturity unless somebody else comments into your life and that is part of what the community is about so I'm going to come back to that later in the year You cannot. Your first step is to be in the word for yourself uh, and growing. Your second step is, how are other people going to comment on your Christian life? Okay, that was the bad news story. Okay, on the surface, but there's a a good news story going on uh, underneath. In the background, the Lord is at work. And, and firstly, he's at work by blessing Elkanah and Hannah with more children. So, so we read that. It was right in the middle. Um, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. It, it's one of those ironies, isn't it, that, that bad ministers can still, in God's grace, be blessing to the people. And it's not because the Lord is blessing them, but it's because the Lord still wants to bless his people. You get that? And so the Lord actually answers Eli's prayer uh, for them and, and says, can they have, please can they have more children for the one they gave to the Lord? And, and they do. Hannah's sacrifice of her firstborn um, to go and work at the temple, even when he's a little boy, because he's still being made little robes, seems inconceivable to us. But one writer says this, no sacrifice ever seems to impoverish one of Yahweh's servants. Yahweh is the name of the Lord. When you sacrifice things to the Lord, you never go away impoverished, never go away worse off. So God's gracious generosity we see, but we see God's saving stubbornness. The Lord is quietly growing the solution, which is Samuel. So if you picked your way through this, in verse 11, you'll see that the boy ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest... In verse 21, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. In verse 26, Samuel continued to grow in stature and favour with the Lord and with people. And and in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, which is just beyond where we read, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. And in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So behind the scenes, the Lord is growing the solution. Here is Samuel. Samuel is going to be the prophetic application of God and his word. That's the solution. That's the solution to all things, by the way. Prophetic application of the word of God. By by that I mean um, a timely and and spirit-empowered application of the word of God. See, God is working behind the scenes. He's determined that there will be a faithful priesthood. And that's why he he gets rid, ultimately, Eli's family. Um, They're replaced by another family. Zadok in the time of Solomon, so that comes true. But as we've said, the Old Testament priesthood there, an imperfect picture of Jesus. But we read in Hebrews 2, a high priest like Jesus truly meets our needs. One who is holy, unlike them, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the, the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law, the Old Testament appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son, who's been made perfect forever. You noticed in, in that passage that Eli says to his sons, Um, If you sin against somebody else, then the Lord can mediate. If you sin against the Lord, particularly if you're the priests and you sin against the Lord, who's going to mediate? There is nobody there. When the priesthood is sinful, there's nobody to mediate between you and the Lord. But we stand in this place where we have Jesus and his self-given sacrifice to himself on the cross as a faithful and holy priest who sacrificed once for all everything that we need to be right with God and can be taken just just on trust, it's a, it's a wonderful thing. Jesus is the mediator who's missing in this passage. So we talked about local story, national story, Jesus' story. A local story, it's about Eli and his family and his evil sons losing the priesthood. It's about Samuel, the prophet, growing in the background. But at the national level, we live in this anticipation. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. The word of the Lord is about to return. word of the Lord is about to be prophesied uh, and, and preached. And in the Jesus story, Jesus is the word of the Lord come in flesh. He's our prophet. He's our holy and faithful high priest. It's good news. And as we'll see later, he's going to be our king. So let's finish with this. What is the Lord saying to you now? Okay, what is he saying to you now? Only you know what the Lord has laid on your heart. If you, if you put off what he says to you now, then your heart gets a little bit harder. And as your heart gets harder, you perceive his voice as quieter. If you put off what the Lord says to you now, that there is no neutral ground you either do what he says or your heart gets a little bit harder. And that is happening around the church week by week. You only get two choices, sorry, when you hear the, the Lord's word preached. You, you either do something about it or your heart gets a little bit harder. But here's another question. So the, the Lord may have laid something on your heart today, in which case you need to deal with it today today. Or maybe there's another question. Maybe the Lord, maybe there's just something been niggling away in the back of your mind and you haven't even realised that the Lord is laying connect, you know, something on your heart. What, what has the Lord been saying to you? And we'll have a moment of quiet in a moment. and just want you to ask, what, Lord, what have you been saying? What have you been trying to get through? And again, you have to deal with it now, today. Otherwise, your heart gets a little bit harder. And if you're sitting there thinking, I'm fine, thank you very much. Uh, there, is n- there is no conviction in the Lord on my heart. In fact, the Lord hasn't laid the conviction on my heart um, for a while now. I'm fine, thank you. Well, you're not fine. If the Lord has not laid any conviction on your heart, then chances are your heart is hard. In which case, go to somebody and ask. What do you see going on in, in my life at this moment in time? And we do all that in the context of grace. We do that all in the context of Jesus, our high priest who sacrificed his own life so that we can be right with God. Another strand that comes out of this passage is, is that in the Old Testament, all the Lord's prophets are con- all promises are conditional. They're conditional on obedience. And so Eli's family, they, they lose out on this promise the Lord made to them because they couldn't keep their side of it. Lord's promises to you, Lord's promise of salvation is unconditional because the, it's not your obedience that counts, it's Jesus' obedience on your, half, on your behalf. But to that does not mean we can simply walk on with hearts that get harder and harder. So we're going to Pray. Let's just, let's be quiet for a moment or two. So you deal with the Lord. You know, the questions are, are, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what have you been saying to me? Lord, where am I hardening my heart against you? And then, Lord, help me deal with it now. And then you bring it to the cross and say, Lord, forgive me on behalf of Jesus, on behalf of what Jesus has done. And I really think you should do something public about it. If you say, even if you say, Lord, I'm dealing with this and um, I know you've laid this on my heart and I'm going to go away and deal with it. If at the moment you just keep that between you and the Lord, it's a really good chance it's going to stay hidden and nothing's going to happen. so I'm reluctant to tell you what to do publicly but make it public I I suggest you talk to somebody I think you you turn to the, to somebody next to you at the end of the service or you come and tell me at the end and we'll be around for prayer uh, maybe a couple of elders will stay around for prayer and just say the lord laid something on my heart and I'm going to do something about it i don't i don't need to know what it is but you you might need to tell someone what it is because otherwise it's going to go back in the closet we're all in the same boat so i'm going to invite worship team to come uh, back up to the front I'll pray and then we'll go and sing. I challenge you, do something public that brings this, whatever it is, um, out of the realm of of secrecy and and into the public domain. It's a sign that you're going to deal with it, um, deal with it seriously. And if it's something you want me to put on my prayer list, uh, I'll have a list and it'll go on and it'll get prayed for. Father God, we confess we're all in the same boat. We're all uh, keeping bits of our lives in secret. Because if we didn't, we'd be ashamed. We ask you, help us bring it out of the darkness and into the light. In Jesus' name, amen.